this morning we're back in Romans 12. Romans 12, I'm going to say it every week, is a summary, a concise description of the Christian faith, of how we live out what we believe. That's why it's so relational. That's why it says, how do we speak to, how do we interact with others? How do we interact with our church family? How do we interact at home? How do we interact with our enemies? Because um, that is where the rubber meets the road. But it is just a summary. And like I said in previous weeks, we can draw so many lines out of Romans 12 to other parts of Scripture that, um, that elaborate and explain and, and build upon what we read in Romans 12 about this, um, these few verses that, that sum up what it means to be a Christian and to live out our faith. And this morning, we're looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Um, these are very concise, short sentences, and uh, I'll read it, we'll pray, and we'll get right into it. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Dear Lord, once again, we thank you that we can learn and grow from your word. Amen. So it's difficult to forgive someone when they kick our chair, when they cut in front of us on the road, when they um, cut the line. How much more difficult would it be to forgive someone if they seek our destruction, if they come to burn down our houses and to kill our families and carry us off to prison? It's not something we experience here but it is something we need to know about keenly. And it ha is happening, and it's happened since day one, and it's continued to happen in some form or another throughout history to various degrees. Come to church history, you'll learn about it. And Louis can agree. Persecution is a part of the Christian way of life in some form or, or another whether it be social persecution. The early Christians didn't necessarily meet the end of a sword every time. Even from the Jewish community, if you were a Christian, you weren't allowed to buy in their shops. You weren't allowed to attend any of the, or receive charity from them. You weren't allowed to integrate in any way into that society. And that happens today still. No, 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 we're not going to carry off or you off to prison, but you can't have a Bible, and you can't um, attend our schools, and you can't buy groceries. Here, you have to, I don't know. They don't care. So persecution is something that in various degrees will, will always be a part of the church and a part of what a Christian is. And it says there, Bless those who persecute you. I want to give you an example from Scripture, okay? Who knows the story of, of Balaam, okay? All right, we just know that his donkey talked and the donkey said something, okay? 
He was on a mission. He was hired by the pagan kings around uh, the wandering nation of Israel to curse them. He was a, a witch doctor. He claimed to have magical powers, and he was hired by the kings. Go in and speak curses on them and um, wish ill on them. And so he goes and does that. And long story short, he does eventually make his way up to the top of the mountain. He's looking down on Israel, and he's about to curse them. You know, those kings are going to get their money's worth. I've got a list prepared. And as he opens his mouth, he starts blessing them. You know, it's almost comical. You know, and then he, did I just say that? And then he tries again and he blesses them again. That Israel's enemies went to curse them. And God made them bless the nation instead. The ironic thing is that the nation were, was down there. And they were cursing God and complaining and cursing their enemies. And, and yet they were being, blessing was being spoken upon them. So I'm not allegorizing and I'm not saying we're Israel and you. I'm saying that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That when there is enemy of the word of God, and we who stand for God face that enemy, our response is blessing. So let's look at that. I do believe that when Paul wrote this verse in Romans, he wanted us to specifically recall what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. We are going to spend a bit of time there as well. So let's turn there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, and consider this as a process. If we are to love our enemies, if we are to bless them, we have to forgive them. And let's consider these fourfold things as a process of forgiveness, okay? How do we forgive those who, who not just cut us off in the line or frustrate us, but seek to actively destroy our faith? the centrality of what we build our values on, what we, the decisions that we make, the, the things that we care for and, and believe, those people that seek the destruction of everything that we hold dear in our faith, how do we forgive them? Because I can forgive someone who accidentally harms me in some way. I feel that I can more easily forgive when there's maybe negligence or there's repentance afterwards. But um, 
But how do we forgive when the hearts of those are malicious? Okay, so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. A lot of translations only say uh, persecute. Um, the King James and the MEV spitefully use and persecute you. Just be aware of that difference. <clears throat> so the first one, it says love. Love your enemies. So the change must begin inwardly, okay? As a, as a foundation of everything that we build our faith on, love your neighbor and love God, that this is um, the first step, and you cannot make any other steps before this one. So inwardly in your heart and your mind, we have to decide to love that person. And it's, it's, um, it's not um, showing uh, physical compassion or, or um, the way that we would uh, love our family. We read in the previous verses of Romans 12, uh, it talks about um, familial love among church members. It just means that love and hatred, you can't have both and so to re replace a mindset and a heart of love with the feelings of animosity is is the first step and we remember that christ who died for us on the cross while we were yet sinners while we were yet enemies of god loved us and for us to do anything less would be to denounce that wonderful selfless sacrifice. Number two, it says, um, bless them who curse you. <coughs> so in our words, we must be kind. Hearts and minds, and then our words. <coughs> oh, sorry. Sorry about that. I'll talk like this, okay. You know, there's a documentary, or not a documentary, a series on Netflix. Um, honestly, I've been curious. It's called The History of Swear Words that in any culture throughout history, in any language, people have found creative ways to curse other people. It comes so naturally to, to us as, as a sinful human. To make the change in our words is the next step on that process. 
that it takes conscious, active effort to think about something kind to say. It takes conscious, active effort not to gossip and to speak ill of someone behind their back, to post something on Facebook that you might regret and have to delete later. The next one, our deeds must be in line with righteousness. Jesus continues, do good to those who hate you. You know, um, there's a, a joke. It's actually a joke, but I'm going to use it as an illustration, okay, <clears throat> to show that when we have our faith in Christ, um, what seems now to be impossible, I, I cannot forgive, I cannot, I cannot bring myself to do something good to someone that I am struggling not to even hate. <laughs> so it goes that there's a woman and um, she, her physical needs, uh, groceries and things are um, being provided by her church family. And she lives next door to an atheist, okay? And every time she receives the groceries, she, um, she praises the Lord for it. And, uh, and the atheist gets so fed up, he goes and buys her three months' worth of groceries. And he drops it off it. And um, she opens the door and she begins to praise the Lord. And she says, God didn't get this for you. I bought it for you. Lord, thank you that you can use this man to provide for my needs. I know just like using our words to say something kind when all we want to do is spew out swearing and cursing. It takes conscious, active effort to rise above your own anger and do good. The deeds that are towards that person are in line, are righteous. Whatever that may look like, whatever form that may take, um, Here's another example uh, of people just standing up for their faith in the face of social persecution, which I believe we are facing now and we're going to be more intensely facing as time goes on. Um, a man was working on the mines. He, uh, his boss was cutting corners to meet uh, quotas, and um, it was standard practice, okay? But he didn't want to do that. He said, I can't, uh, in my uh, conscious and my Christian morals, uh, go along with this. And then he was framed for misconduct in the workplace by his supervisor, 
and he faced disciplinary hearings and he did nothing wrong. Um, well, he continued to show respect to his boss. He continued the, the process. He luckily didn't get fired, um, but neither did the, the supervisor. Um, uh, he, he did everything in accordance with the regulations, and he didn't say anything against that person's character. He didn't take a key to his car after work or, or anything. He stuck to his guns, so to speak. I hear now he's working at a much better job that pays five times the salary, so I'm glad he got out of there and, and um, is somewhere where they appreciate him more. But that would be a good example of how Christian persecution would affect our lives here in this country. When we stand for what we believe and we get punished for it, what would your reaction be? And lastly, our prayers must be compassionate. Jesus says, pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. When we fill our prayers in the night or in the morning, it's mostly, if not always, for the people that we care for, for our Christian brothers and sisters, for our family that's ill, for the persecuted church, but perhaps the ones that are persecuting us and them need just as much prayer, if not more. Lord, they are lost just as I was lost. They are enemies of what we believe, just as I was an enemy of you, have mercy on them, help them. When Jesus was hanging on the cross near death, that's what he did. Have mercy on them, for they know not what they do. This is the God that we serve. To do anything less would be to diminish that great sacrifice of the cross. And forgiveness is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And nobody expects that. But um, to not forgive at all would be much worse. Let's pray, and we'll sing our final hymn afterwards, and I hope that you have a wonderful time with your family today, and um, the mothers get spoiled. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its simplicity. We thank you for its relevance and impact, that we can read it and know it and understand it. Help us to apply it, help us to carry these truths with us as we 
go out of here today. And Lord, that we may live out our faith more fully and more uh, in more real ways. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Stand for our final hymn.